haven't seen you quite a while. I was down the hole just passing time. Last time we met, it was a loaded room. Close together as a bride and groom. Ate the food, drank the wine. Everybody having a good time. Except you, you were talking end of the world I took the money I spiked your drink you miss too much these days if you stop to think you me on with those innocent eyes you know I love the element of surprise in the garden, I was playing guitar. I kissed your lips and I broke your heart. You, you were acting like the end of the world.
Hey, uh, thanks, Justin, you guys. Um, we've been preaching through Genesis, and so if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, how did he get from A to C? Go back and listen to B, okay? So this is the third sermon that uh, we're preaching on the mirror. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to see you in Jesus the Christ. And Lord God, I pray that you would give us courage to believe you. God, it's just a, it seems to me like insanity that you would have us talk about you. Um, and so God, if, if there's something that I'm saying that's wrong or whatever, I, I pray you'd stop me. You can kill me, give me the flu, something. But Lord God, would you help us um, to believe? Maybe if we don't even understand to believe just how deep your love goes. In Jesus' name, Lord God, we ask that you would help us to preach. Amen. Magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest one of all? Famed is thy beauty, majesty, but hold, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. Alas for her. Reveal her name. Lips red as the rose, hair black as ebony, skin white as snow. Snow white. <gasps> There's a mirror that gives the knowledge of good and evil, beauty and ugliness. We look in the mirror to judge ourselves and others. With the mirror, we try to take beauty and end up only making ourselves ugly. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a mirror. We look into that mirror to judge ourselves and judge others, and with the mirror, Eve tried to create herself and only created a monster. And yet God has done something absolutely incredible with that old mirror. For the one I love to find me, to find me today, Now when we look into the mirror, with hope, a prince appears, our husband. When we look into the law, we see a person filling, fully filling the law. When we look to the tree, there's a man hanging there. We took his life, and yet he forgives his life. Now the old tree bears life, body broken, blood shed. Jesus has reconciled the knowledge of good and evil with life, and it's called grace. In the New Jerusalem, the New Eden, in the book of Revelation, you'll see that there's one tree, one skulon in Greek. That tree is Christ's cross, 
And from it, we know the good who is a person. And we also taste the evil, which is the absence of that person. And from it, we receive eternal life. And so there are two mirrors. One, the mirror of the law, and two, the mirror of the law fulfilled by Jesus, the mirror of grace, which is life. When by faith we look to Jesus Christ and him crucified, we look to the heart of God. We actually see our reflection in the eyes of the Father, our judgment. They are the eyes of infinite love. So would you just turn and look at the person next to you? Okay, I want you to look them in the eye. If you have glasses, you may have to take your glasses off, surely. Okay, just find a partner, look in their eyes, look in their eyes. Okay, just, I'm the pastor, do it, okay? Look in their eyes, look deeply in their eyes, okay? Keep looking. Now, do you see your reflection in their eye? Do you see it? Do you? You got to look better. Okay, look better then. Okay, maybe you need glasses. Now, if you didn't have, if you're, if you're isolated and alone, you should be sitting closer to somebody and you can turn. Now, look at somebody else, okay? Make sure everybody looks in somebody's eye. Kim, you should look at, I don't know how you're going to do that over there. But anyway, just look in their eye. Okay, do you see the reflection in their eye? Do you see it? Okay, now keep looking at it. Keep looking at it. Look at it. Now, in the reflection in their eye, you should be able to see the reflection of your eye. If, if you had good eyes, okay, you could do that. And then in that the reflection of your eye, their eye, their eye, infinity, like that. It's like an infinite communion, okay? Well, anyway, now listen, you can look at me now. I know because you're all freaked out and everything, but don't worry about it. Um, that reflection in their eye, like we talked about last time, the Bible calls the ishon of the eye. In English Bibles, it's usually translated the apple of the eye, but in the Hebrew, it, it literally means little man of the eye, or even more literally, the little husband of the eye. God calls Israel the ishon of his eye. I believe he's saying, my people, my bride, Eve... Look into my eyes, and you'll see yourself. Yourself is a man, a husband. See, look, I have made Jesus your wisdom, your righteousness, your sanctification, and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, by the way, and the gospel. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Two mirrors. Well, the woman, she was deceived. And so she looked into that first mirror. She ate the fruit, judged herself, and hid. She hid from her husband, her ish, and she hid from her father's eyes. The place she hides is death and hell. And by that, I mean Hades, Sheol, the outer darkness. You know, it begins in this life. And Scripture reveals that it extends beyond the grave. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not 
surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she wanted wisdom, she took of its fruit and ate. She took and ate. And all of her children fell under a curse. She took and ate. And six million Jews were tortured and exterminated in Europe. Some in this gas chamber. Their bodies burned in these ovens. Hundreds of thousands of Cambodians were massacred in the killing fields of Cambodia. She took and ate. And a woman was murdered in a garage in Texas. A little girl was raped in the woods. She took and ate and the pneumonia filled my father's lungs and he breathed his last. A friend of mine took a drink and sank into her addiction. Another friend prepared to sell herself for money. Billy Baldridge, who felt like my son, pulled out a gun out of a paper bag in a courtyard at UCLA and shot himself in the chest and died there. She took and ate, and billions upon billions descended into death and hell. Sometimes, doesn't God seem kind of mean? Doesn't he? I mean, why did he put that tree there? Why didn't he stop her? Where was God when Eve did that? We know that Jesus died for our sins, but you see, that was thousands of years later. And let's get real. Thousands upon thousands of people suffered and died on crosses in the Roman Empire. What is the suffering of one man so long ago next to the suffering of billions upon billions languishing in disease, poverty, death camps, and outer darkness? We know that God's glory was revealed on the cross. <laughs> but what difference does that make in the ovens at Auschwitz? In that garage in Texas? She took and she ate. And where was God? She took and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband, her Ish, Adam, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves." From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, she gave some to her husband. She gave 
some of her judgment. She gave her judgment to her husband who was with her. Hey, you want to read a fun verse? This is a verse great for picking up chicks, okay? And it's also really fun to read to your wife while she's in labor. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Okay, this is from the King James. I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she, singular, shall be saved in childbearing if they, plural, continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, that's kind of a weird verse, isn't it? It's especially kind of weird when you consider who wrote it. Paul wrote it, who also wrote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And people obviously argue over the details of that first line and the implications of it. Obviously, we think Francis is pretty great, and I noticed, Bill noticed too, that she's, in fact, a a woman. Um, And women lead in various capacities and different ways throughout the Scripture, yet Paul seems to be driving at something that's much more profound and deep than all of our bickering about that. He's talking about Adam... And Eve. This verse really used to bug me until I began to take Scripture seriously. Because you know that Paul tells us that all of us are the woman. Paul quotes Genesis saying, the two, the man and woman, shall become one flesh. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. And for Paul, this is hugely important, There wasn't just one Adam. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, eschatos Adam, ultimate Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Romans 5. Adam was a type, tupos in Greek. Figure, example. Adam was a type of Christ. That means that when you read the story of Adam and Eve, you are also reading the story of the church and our groom, of Jesus and his bride, Jesus and us. So just as Eve was created from Adam's bleeding side through his body broken and bloodshed, so we, the church, are created from the side of Jesus the Christ, his body broken, his blood shed on the tree. Just as Adam and Eve celebrate sexual communion in the covenant of marriage, become one body and bear fruit, so Jesus and his church celebrate the sacrament of communion in the covenant of grace, become one body and bear fruit. Genesis 2.24. Therefore, an ish, a husband, shall leave his father... Hold fast to his bride. Not leave her, not forsake her, but be with her. Isaiah writes, your maker is your ish, your husband. Paul tells us Jesus is ultimate Adam and we're his bride. We ask, where was God when Eve took that fruit? Listen. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, 
And Paul writes, Adam was not deceived. Like he knew what was coming. And now you should be thinking to yourself, hey, wait a minute. Jesus never committed any sin. True. However, he became sin for us. He was loaded with sin. And where did he get it? From his bride. Us. He bears all her bad judgments as his own. His covenant is so firm he will not leave her nor forsake her. He is determined to be with her even if she descends into death and hell. Well, now listen. It's very clear that there is an old Adam and that he sinned. Scripture talks about that. But it's also clear that there is a new Adam, ultimate Adam, that was not deceived and will not leave us nor forsake us. He is Emmanuel-ish, <laughs> husband with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And if this verse is referring to that truth, do you see what it means? Oh, it means that when Eve hides herself in death and hell for fear of God's judgment, it means that when we hide ourselves in the darkness for fear of our Father's eyes, Jesus the Christ, the ultimate Adam, hides there with us. When humanity fell, when the old Adam fell, he chose to come with us. Julian of Norwich in 1373 saw this in her famous vision and wrote the following. When Adam fell, God's son fell. Because of the true union made in heaven, God's son could not leave Adam. For by Adam I understand all men. Adam fell from life to death into the valley of this wretched world, and after that into hell. God's son fell with Adam into the valley of the virgin's womb in order to free Adam from guilt in heaven and in earth, and with his great power he fetched him out of hell. Eve took and ate and gave some to her husband who was with her. Six million Jews went to the death camps, and Jesus went with them in this gas chamber where his body was consumed in this oven. When the Cambodians were slaughtered in the killing fields, Jesus was slaughtered with them just to be with them. A woman was murdered in a garage in Texas, and Jesus was murdered too. A child was raped in the woods, and Jesus was raped too. When my father died, Jesus died with him. When my friend took that drink, Jesus went with her. When Billy shot his own heart full of lead, he shot Jesus' heart full of lead because Jesus would not leave him. When billions sank into death and hell, Jesus went with them. 
And if that's true, if that's really true, do you see what it means? It means that Jesus has actually borne our sorrows. He has actually carried our griefs. I mean, he didn't just pay for them. He bore them. Didn't just taste them. He carried them. Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All. That's why on Judgment Day, Jesus says from the throne, Whatever you did unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And whatever you did not do unto the least of them, you didn't do it to me. Why? Because he's with them, in them. And so even when he sits on the throne, if he sends them into the eternal fire, I think that means he goes with them. Like a scapegoat. With them. You know, when Coleman was little, I issued judgment a lot. I had to. I'd issue judgment. I'd say, Coleman, you go to the green couch. He'd go to the green couch. And then I'd go there with him, just to be with him. Spent a lot of time on the green couch. He took me there. Remember when Sharon shared her testimony? She told of how she relapsed and spent the night in the hospital and felt so much shame, but that night Jesus appeared to her in her room. And he said, she said to him, what are you doing here? And he said, you brought me here. I have a friend who ran from Jesus and went to a sex club. While there, she heard Jesus speak to her. She said, what are you doing here? And he heard the same answer. You brought me here. And now you may be thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, 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 that sounds like a Christian kind of thing, but that's only after Christmas, 0 AD. And only when you're a Christian. Listen to Galatians 1.16. Paul writes about his conversion. And writing about his conversion, he says that God revealed Jesus in him when he was converted. Like hidden in him. Like the mystery hidden for ages and generations, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. John 1, 9. He is the light that enlightens all men. We know he's the word through whom all things are created and all things are sustained. He is God with us. Emmanuel. That comes from Isaiah, written in the 8th century B.C., 800 years before Christmas. In Deuteronomy 31, about 1,500 years before Christmas, God said to all Israel, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Do you understand what that means when he said that to all of Israel? It means that when they were punished, he was punished. When they went into exile and dispersion, he went into exile and dispersion. When they descended into the Hades, he, he went with them. You see, God with us does not mean that you won't go to hell. But that if you do, he goes with you. Psalm 139, even if I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. Even there, your right hand holds me, writes David. In Hades, men feel forsaken. And yet that doesn't mean that 
they are. On the cross, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, he's bearing our sorrow, our sin, our shame. He's in our hell. And he's quoting David in Psalm 22, which goes on to say that God has not hidden his face. You see, so it's not that God is not with us. We're not with God. We're hiding. Our fists are clenched. Our eyes are shut. Our hearts closed in the trees under the fig leaves. (laughs) And so unless Jesus descends into that darkness the darkness of our dead hearts will never be free. And please believe me, Jesus really was born in a manger in Bethlehem, placed in a manger in Bethlehem. He really died on a cross outside of Jerusalem, and he really rose from the grave. But it wasn't simply one manger, one cross, one grave. Why? Because he's with you in your grave. His death was once for all, as Scripture says, but you see, it was also all for once, right? For our griefs, our sorrows, our sins were on that cross with him. 1 John 2, 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Revelation 13, 8, he was slain from the foundation of the world. My friends, the foundation of the world is Genesis chapter 1. You see, his death on the tree was an eternal moment, encompassing all time. Through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, writes Paul, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's his plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. That's Ephesians. Ephesians 4, 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. You see, I think that's all space and all time. Isaiah sees it. He hears it from the cherubim. In the 8th century B.C., we sing it. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Do you get what I'm saying, Eve? Do you understand? You're hiding in darkness, fear, and shame with your fists clenched, your eyes closed, and your heart fast shut. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand. (laughs) Jesus even said, within you. Why? Because the king has descended within you in the darkness, in the fear, in the shame, in your soul. see, your soul is a city. It's a temple. It's a sanctuary. It's a tabernacle. It's a garden of which you were once kicked out of. And in the garden there's a tree. And on the tree has been nailed a man 
your groom, your ish, your husband, your prince, the eschatos Adam. He is not far from you. He's born in your town. He's crucified on your tree. He rises from your grave. And even more, and this is my point, he is in your mirror. He is your mirror. Look at him. He is God's judgment of you. And not you in some vague, abstract, philosophical, amorphous, fuzzy, gaseous sort of way. But you in particular. These are my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. He writes, your soul has a curious shape because it is a hollow made to fit a particular swelling in the infinite contours of the divine substance or a key to unlock one of the doors in the house with many mansions. For it is not humanity in the abstract that is to be saved, but you, you, the individual reader, John Stubbs or Janet Smith. Last week I told you of how Susan and Elaine and I had a vision all together last year. And at first, I thought it was just my imagination, but something happened that revealed very clear to me that it wasn't just my imagination. That's a, another story, but anyway, we had a vision. Last week, I told you how we had uh, been so angry with Jesus, you know, because of our judgments of Jesus, our Antichrist judging the Christ, the Jesus, and how he invited us into the fire that is his judgment. He invited us to be with him. And how that fire burned up our old self, old man, old judgments. And how underneath, Jesus revealed three snow-white, glorious, solid, eternal people. And this is my point. They were distinct people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Same substance, different form. You, you see, in all three of us was the same glorious eternal substance, yet in each of us it was conformed to the individual contours of our person. It was me. But not me made of dust. Me made of Christ. The old me formed the void into which the new me was poured like molten gold is poured into a void to make a piece of art, an eternal treasure formed in a temporal earthen vessel. Kind of like this. Can you see that? I actually drew that with the help of my friend Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, when I look in the mirror of the law in order to judge myself, something like that. Should probably be wearing underwear. I don't know. When I look into the mirror of the law in order to judge myself and create myself into the image of God, this is what I see, and this is what I produce. I look, I see, I judge, I justify and I create this. A being made through my judgments. But my judgments are 
disobedience. They all come from that tree at which I'm commanded not to eat. It's all sin. That leads to all the temporal afflictions of this world. Do you see that? Sorrow, mourning, the belief that I'm not God's person, that I'm not beloved but forsaken. It's a lie, it's darkness, and I'm dead. This is a vessel of wrath. This is damnation, death, hell, Hades. John 3.18, he who does not believe is condemned already. This is a vessel of wrath and condemnation. Demons, demons will inhabit this stuff. And demons will tell you that this is you. That if you get rid of this stuff, you'll die. But in reality, sin in the flesh will die. The old man will die because this isn't you. This is just the void that becomes you. And what do we do? We hide it in the trees. We cover it with fig leaves. We'd still be stuck there except Christ has descended into this place to be nailed to the tree of law in our place. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look into the eyes of the Father and believe his word, his creative word. And this is how we're going to do it. I want you to look at this image, okay? Look at this image as if we were, you were looking in a mirror and then receive God's word, who is Jesus, in the mirror. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's, that's God's judgment, God's judgment. Romans eleven thirty two. for God has consigned all to disobedience, I'll take this off, in order that he may have mercy on all. That's God's judgment. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Romans 5.20, 2 Corinthians 5.17, this slight momentary affliction, okay, the afflictions are temporal, they're momentary, prepares us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The glory is eternal. Jeremiah 31, I will give them gladness for sorrow, turning their mourning into joy. Uh, I think it was uh, Master Eckhart who said, you know, if someone told me that all my stones would turn to gold, I'd rejoice at the more stones that I had. He'll turn your sorrows into joy. Romans 9, 25, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And he's quoting Hosea, and 1 Peter quotes him too. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place, the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Ephesians 5, 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Anything exposed by light becomes light. 2 Corinthians 4.10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Jesus is the life. 1 Corinthians 
15. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So do you see, um, this is perishable. This is imperishable. God's judgment, mercy, grace, glory, gladness, joy, being God's people, beloved, light, and life. Um, This is temporal. This is eternal. This is a vessel of wrath. This is a vessel of mercy. This is who you are. So throw that away. Let it go. And put on this. That's what Scripture tells us. And do you understand? God is not distant. He is born in you, dies in you, and raises from the dead in you, uniquely in your life. Paul de R.C. writes this. God comes to us disguised as our life. God is glorified and revealed on his tree outside of Jerusalem, and God is glorified and revealed on his tree in your heart. St. Augustine wrote this, in my deepest wound, I see your glory, and it dazzles me. So stop hiding your wounds. Of course, the Savior is most glorified where we most need to be saved. And so for all eternity, you see, we'll boast not in ourselves, but in Christ crucified in ourselves. I'm saying that your old becomes the new. The old Jerusalem we make is transformed into the new Jerusalem that he makes. Our old sinful judgments become his judgment of grace. Richard Rohr writes this, God uses everything. There are no dead ends. Everything is recycled. Sin history and salvation history are two sides of one coin. So Eve took the fruit, gave some to her husband, who was with her. When you sin, you give your sin to Jesus, whether you know it or not, for he's with you. He takes it to the tree and makes all things new. And in the very place you took his life, he gives his life. In the very place you came to know good and evil, he gives you his body broken and his blood shed. The place of sin becomes the revelation of his glory. Now, I don't want you to sin. In case you're sitting there thinking, hey, well, I ought to sin that grace may abound. I don't want you to sin. Because Jesus will suffer for your sin. And I love him. I don't want you to descend into hell. For I'm convinced Jesus will go with you. And I love him. I want you to believe. Because believing is rising from the the grave. I want you to rise from the grave, and I know that only happens because Jesus rises with you. You rise with him. When you look, Eve, when you believe by grace through faith, When you believe his judgment on you, you live his judgment on you. And you are made in the image of God. 
You are an eternal life walking around in this temporal world. In other words, you're the body of Christ. And this isn't just an idea. It's not just a theory. It's not just a theology in a book. At this point, I could go on and tell you weeks' worth of stories, most from watching Jesus redeem my friend Elaine, but the stories are so intense and so traumatic, so so beautiful. I, I don't think we have the time nor the counselors to really pull it off. And so suffice it to say, in the words of C.S. Lewis, there is no hell into which he has not descended. And like John writes in his gospel, Eve, the light shines in the darkness. In those places we enter the deepest communion. In those places God fills our shame with his grace. Precisely there we come to know him, him, the good, and we witness our own creation in his image. You know, there is no greater evil than when we took the life of Christ by judging him on the tree of knowledge. In other words, there is no greater evil than when we took Christ's life on the cross. And yet there is no greater good than when he gave us his life on the cross. If he turned the greatest evil into the greatest good, surely he'll turn your piddly evil into good. So stop hiding from yourself. Stop hiding from God. Let him judge you. Let him show you who you are. You know, Peter looked at Jesus, and Peter the coward became Peter the rock. Paul looked at Jesus and saw that murdering Pharisee became Paul the apostle of grace. John looked at Jesus, whom Jesus had called the son of thunder because he wanted to call down lightning on a Samaritan village. John looked at Jesus, and John the son of thunder became John the apostle of love. Look at Jesus. For on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken and given to you. Take, eat. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the covenant, the blood of the covenant. This is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. And so we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The darker cups are wine, the lighter cups are juice. They're both judgment. If you don't want him, you don't have to come. Because he can burn. (laughs) But the burning's good. This is judgment. This is your mirror. This is where God tells you who you are. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, he's with you. Would you be with him? Would you worship? In Jesus' name.
Let's worship. And so, Eve, you see, your life is a love story, and he's showing you how deep his love will go, how deep it will go all the way through the earth and to the other side. <laughs> your life is a love story, and he is romancing your heart till you ultimately and finally surrender and live happily forever after. <laughs> and so Eve, look at him. No more shame, no more fear, no more hiding. Look at your groom. You know, people get, get frustrated with that because they go, okay, so what am I supposed to do this week? But you see, it's a matter deep in your heart. My son Coleman is in love. Don't tell him I'm talking about him, okay? He's not here right now. He has a girlfriend. And uh, <laughs> she's giving me the eye. Susan's giving me the eye, but it's okay. Col <laughs> Coleman owes me. And I'm telling you, he like talks on the phone constantly. He's gone to the mall. How many times do you go to the mall before Christmas? Spending all of his money. I never have to say to Coleman, you know, Coleman, if you have a girlfriend, you really should spend more money on her. <laughs> I never have to say to Coleman, Coleman, you, you know, if uh, you, you really love her, you ought to talk on the phone till 4 o'clock instead of 3 o'clock. I never say to Coleman, you know, you really ought to think about her more and tell other people about her. Um, he just does it because he's fallen in love with her. And you see, your life is a love story, and Jesus is saying to you in every circumstance, he's saying to you in every sorrow and every struggle, he's saying, I'm going to show you how much I love you so you would love me back. So what can you do? Worship him. Think about him. Look at him. And all that other stuff? <laughs> oh, it'll happen. The problem will be you won't know how to spend enough money. You won't know how to talk to him enough. You won't know how to think about him enough. Your problems will be Coleman's problems, and they're good problems. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel. And if you want to stick around now and uh, worship a bit, we have an incredible worship team. They're going to keep playing. We invite you just to stay in worship. Um, another great thing to do would be to go to Steve Moore's class on the Song of Solomon, which is all about the stuff that I'm talking about tonight. If you'd like to hang out and have pizza, we encourage you uh, to do that. But in the name of Jesus, um, God bless you. Amen.